Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the Draft Chat Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Nick Pinaros. Uh, I'm running a day late. I usually like to do it on Tuesday, if I can, and then uh, last week I did Thursday. I'm not sure that'll always work out, but I do want to try to do it every Tuesday. Um, for that, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't have any guests on today. Had a couple of issues yesterday. Wasn't able to schedule uh, who I could get on and stuff like that. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm running solo again today. I'll try and make it worth listening to, I promise. And um, starting next week when I do the polls of the topics, because obviously I'm doing the topics that you guys pick. Um, starting next week when I do the polls, feel free to, you know, throw your names in the hat if you feel like it's a topic that um, you might associate with. You know, if it's a Vikings topic, you know, I'd like to have somebody who's a Vikings fan, Cam, you know, Travis, Justin, you know, you guys know who you are. Um so on and so forth, you know, whatever the case is, if it's a topic that you feel like you're passionate about, whatever the case is, throw your name into the hat, throw your name into the ring, whatever the case is, and, um, you know, we can take it from there, see what we could do for your workout, and then, you know, I'll, I'll talk with you about times and stuff like that, I try to do them, you know, Tuesday nights, uh, I will try to be flexible, I know that there is ways to start and stop it and make it into one show, so, um, you know, I will try to be flexible with all you guys too, uh, that'll be next week. Um, sorry again about not having guests on, but, uh, you know, we had a couple topics that are, um, some fun topics and the most popular one I'm going to start off with is kind of an interesting one and a weird one. Uh, why is Adam Gase still the head coach of the New York Jets? Long story short, I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody kind of has that feeling of, I don't know. You know, um, I think we've all seen the stats out, his career record, how many games he's lost by, so-and-so. Basically, this guy hasn't had any success outside of being Peyton Manning's offense coordinator. And if we're all being honest, we all kind of feel like that's not that difficult of a job for somebody to have success in. So it's it's a real head-scratcher that he's still a head coach. He has, you know, he has... These job opportunities that he's had lined up, you know, uh, it looks even worse on him, you know, when you look at now as at the guys that have have struggled with him, under him, you know, outside of Peyton Manning, of course, uh, the guys that have struggled under him and have gone elsewhere or just being away from him and have produced, you know, the most famous one being Ryan Tannehill, who, you know, we'll, we'll get into more Ryan Tannehill uh, when we do uh, Texas Titans. Uh, Texans-Titans game, which I'm excited about, too. A lot of good stuff there, too. But, you know, Ryan Tannehill was a guy who uh, was a little topsy-turvy. You know, at one point, they had 30, thought he turned a corner, got hurt in preseason, and then it was just kind of weird after that, never really blossomed. Maybe they just kind of thought it was, you know, and then that's who he was, whatever. Uh, Tannehill signs with the Titans last year at the beginning of the year. Signs as a uh, high-end backup for a quarterback, you know, behind Mariota, who was not really proving, you know, to do much, so, but he was essentially signed as a clear backup at the moment, with the idea that, you know, uh, the leash isn't super long, so he might get in some time, and, you know, to his credit, you know, the Titans didn't look great with Mariota, Mariota struggled a lot, when uh, Tannehill came in, the Titans basically caught fire, you know, and he played excellent, I'm Pretty sure he led the NFL in QB rating last year or something like that. Something along those lines. I was one of the top top quarterbacks in in football last year. And his, I don't know, he played like 10 games last year, whatever it was. And then they went to the playoffs. And, all right, I mean, granted, you know, 
worth mentioning. Uh, Derrick Henry was the primary uh, catalyst for their run to the AFC Championship game last year. But, you know, it's there's a lot of cause and effect with that too because Derrick Henry wasn't exactly lighting it up before Tannehill, you know, was at quarterback. You know, so if you have an actual an actual threat of somebody who's can challenge a defense, push the ball downfield, move the ball, then it's going to open up the run game. It's just it's an, it's an inevitable thing that's going to happen, you know. So, you know, Tannehill really did turn around, uh, help help turn around Derrick Henry's season, you know. And and I, you know, it, it's fair to argue that Derrick Henry made Tannehill's job easier, but Derrick Henry was also there for Marcus Mariota, and Marcus Mariota couldn't hit the broad side of a barn half the time. So you know, there's little cause and effect with them. So you you saw that with Tannehill. Another person who really, really blossomed after Gase being gone of him was uh, Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker finally turned in um, the basically the best season of his young career, you know. And he's a guy who I like coming out. I kind of had some interest in, uh, you know, the the Giants getting drafted him too that year, even though he probably didn't need a wide receiver. But he was disappointing for the first couple of years too, you know, and. You know, I mean, it's just, it's weird that these guys leave this offensive-minded, you know, quote-unquote head coach, and they produce elsewhere. You know, it does look bad. And then you also see somebody like Le'Veon Bell, who, I mean, that whole thing just seemed doomed from the start, if we're being honest. But, you know, they had Le'Veon Bell come in, and it just seemed like Gase had no idea how to use him. You know, and, and Glavin Bell is a guy who had performed at a really high level pretty much the entire time he had ever been on a on a football field in the NFL. You know, at one point I remember him being something like first or second in yards from scrimmage for his career or something like that. Like, excellent player. Goes to Adam Gase and he just falls into, you know, the pit of misery basically. So the question becomes now, all right, you have Sam Darnold who's, He's young and he's a quarterback. Now, anything else beyond that can be argued, how good he is, how bad he is, whatever. You know, um, but he's a young quarterback. And he's a young quarterback that they invested in. You know, they gave up a bunch of second-rounders to move up just three slots to get him or whatever the case is. You know, they made a, a, a big investment in Sam Darnold. And to me at this point, the Jets are just a complete dumpster fire, you know, at every, every level. You know, uh, talent-wise, they don't have much of it, you know. Um, it's just the coaching, just this coaching's bickering back and forth, and the defense coordinator and, and the head coach are, you know, having problems with one another, and it's just, it's a really, really bizarre situation in general there. And I'm not really sure what the plan there is. And the reason I think that's the case is because I'm not entirely sure they know what the plan is. So if they don't know what it is, none of us will be able to crack the actual code. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a couple, a couple of avenues I can see is basically them saying, like, okay, you know, we suck. We're not going to come out and say that, obviously, but everybody knows that. Everybody who watches them knows it. You know, we're not a good football team. We're not going to compete for anything this year. Just be bad finish out the year and, you know, let him continue to basically be bad. And, you know, we'll, we'll 
reassess at the end of the year. Or reassess by, by that, I mean, okay, we'll let him go and then, you know, we'll reset it. Now, there's a lot more questions than that, um, you know, regarding what do they do if they get the top pick? You know, if Trevor Lawrence comes out, which, you know, you assume he will come out, but it wouldn't be the first time that somebody refused to come out to play for the Jets in, the li- in my lifetime, basically, so... That's what Peyton Manning did in 97, for some of you who may not know that. You know, so I don't think Trevor Lawrence would do that. I think Trevor Lawrence would come out regardless. But, you know, you never know. But then the other question becomes, well, the Jets ready to move on from Sam Donald, you know, and what do you do um, with him? You know, obviously you're going to look to trade him. If you're going to get Trevor Lawrence, what are you going to get from him? Probably not as much you know, as you like, but, you know, because he's already coming down to his uh, – his rookie, you know, his rookie year deal coming out, I think this is year three, basically. After that, you have year four, you have the option, and the option's going to be expensive, too. You know, you're putting him in a new offense at that point if you're, if you're trading for him. So, you know, the return isn't going to be high. I mean, it shouldn't be high because, you know, there's a, there's a lot working against you at that point to, for you to be able to be successful with him. But if the Jets really believe in Lawrence and, you know, the new coaching staff who's not attached to Sam Darnold, the new, you know, is, is not committed to Sam Darnold, may want to start with their own guy, you know. So that creates another issue. And that's assuming that, you know, the Jets move on from him. You know, I, I can't remember who, who kind of threw it out there, but I remember somebody saying um, that it's also possible that Adam Gase has convinced the Jets that, you know, basically, he knows what he's doing. Uh, the team's not good right now, but, you know, basically, let's let's be bad for the year, and then, you know, we can reassess. I'm, I don't know. Look, I've seen front offices and owners do stupider things than that. I can't imagine he's the coach next year. I just can't. But I've, you know, I, I've lived in New York my whole life. Um, obviously a Giants fan, as most of you know, but obviously I follow the Jets because they're also here too and they're covered by local sports. They are a very, very dysfunctional, um, very, very low self-esteem franchise. You know, so I wouldn't put anything past them, including possibly keeping Adam Gase. Now, I can't imagine what the reason for that would be, but... I mean, he got this far, right? I mean, he's been the coach. He's still the coach. You don't feel like the team's getting better, but he's still the coach. So, I mean, is it possible that he coaches after this year? I mean, I guess so. I I definitely wouldn't recommend it for them. I don't think that guy should be coaching anybody at this point. I I couldn't even fathom giving that guy an offensive coordinator job. He just seems so insane in so many ways even to the point where like so all right for example the Giants coach Joe Judge you know um, limited experience as a you know as a head coach obviously never been really had a coach at a you know at a major program whatever the case is you know college NFL whatever the case is. but he's taught under he's learned under guys you know very very well respected guys Nick Saban Bill Belichick when I when I watch the Giants week in and week out um they're not very, very talented. I'll be the first person to tell you that. But, you know, they do seem to have a sort of, you know, cohesiveness, a uh, nature, an accountability for each other, you know. So I, I'm actually 
I, I was you know, wait and see mode with Joe Judge. From what I've seen, it seems like you know, given better talent, the team might be pretty good. You know, I look at Adam Gaze and I just see just full on, just like grease fire, like you know, just a complete dumpster fire. Like, there's no organization. They don't know what they're doing. They, you know, it's just it's a mess. You know, and that's. That's just what they look like from the top down. And, and I'm really, at this point, not sure what the actual plan is. But ultimately, long story short, I don't know if he's, you know, if he's going to be there long term. I don't know why he's still there now. But, you know, I guess the Jets are going to let us wait and see. Because I'll tell you this, I don't think he's getting fired uh, before the year's up. If he is getting fired, I don't think he's getting fired for years up because what's the point? So, because they figure they're going to be bad, whatever the case is. So, I don't think he's going to get fired for the years up, you know. And, I mean, I guess after the year, we'll see. The only other answer I have is he has some incriminating pictures of some people and they just can't fire him. <laughs> and as ridiculous as that sounds, that makes more sense than what's actually happening. So, I mean, I'd basically roll with that too. Um, so that's my best guess as to what's happening with Adam Gase. Uh, the next topic that we had was what can we make of Carson Wentz? Um, it's a good topic actually. Uh, Carson Wentz is a, a strange, strange story, you know, um, he came out, you know, he was taken second overall, uh, for after the first two years, people looked at Jared Goff as just a complete disaster, and you know Carson Wentz is the clear, clear guy. Since then, Goff has gotten uh, Sean McVay. He's looked better. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of him personally. I think he's fine, you know. But that's you know you you don't take, you don't trade up and take a guy first overall because you want him to be fine. You want him to be you know transcendent, you know, extraordinary. So. You know, I think he's fine. He's a starting quarterback. I wouldn't argue against that. But, you know, Carson Wentz definitely seems, after the first two years, especially with 2017, which, listen, if we're being fair, if Carson Wentz doesn't get hurt in 2017, he wins the, he wins the NFL MVP and he deserves it. You know, he was he was excellent. The team was very good, too. Don't get me wrong. They went on to win the Super Bowl without him there, so obviously they had, there was some talent on the team. But he was, he was playing spectacular football. You know, he was great. And... The funny thing is, is like I remember watching him his, his rookie year, and I mean he he caught some flack and stuff like that for struggles and, and whatever. And you know their offensive line was mainly pretty good. You know two really really good tackles. You know uh, they had a decent offensive line. Their weapons were horrible. I, I just remember watching the game against the Giants, and I take pride in knowing a lot about you know teams and rosters and and you know even. Backups and whatever the case is, like, you know, like I take I take pride in, in knowing those kind of those kind of those kind of teams and those kind of guys and whatever the case is. I remember looking at the Eagles roster and just looking at them. And I'm like, you know, I understand you're not going to have all these all pros and stuff like that. Their offensive talent was terrible, just awful. You know, like uh, I think that was. Um, I'm pretty sure that was uh, Zach Ertz's like first kind of like breakout year, but 
I feel like part of that just happened because, like, who who else is going to throw the ball to? You know, like, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think, like, the starting receivers were, like, I remember Jordan Matthews was there, and Nelson Aguilar was, was still kind of prominent. He was, like, struggling a little bit, and, you know, and the running back situation, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I think that was when, what's his name, was still there. Uh, Ryan Matthews was still there. And, t- yeah, it was just just a messy situation. So, like, okay, I'm not saying you're going to have superstars for him, but you got to have some semblance of weaponry, something, somebody to get open, somebody to do something. Like, what do you expect your quarterback to accomplish? Like, I remember the Giants when they drafted Eli in 2004, you know, they had Amani Toomer who, you know, he had been a solid player for his career and he was getting a little older, but, you know, he was still a, a guy who you could look at and say, like, all right, well, he could still be a number two. And he could at that point, you know. And they had uh, Jeremy Shockey, who, you know, I was a big fan. But I remember after his first year, Eli was really, really shaky his rookie year, you know. Uh, but after his first year, the Giants went out and got Plaxico Burris, who was a number one, well, clear number one, you know. So, you know, when you have rookie quarterbacks, like young quarterbacks, like, you need to get him support. Like, you need to get him guys that can get open on their own. Because the problem is that, Look, you, you want your quarterbacks to be able to elevate the players around them, but it's not easy for them to do it at 21 years old, you know, just trying to make it in the NFL, you know. Eventually they'll get older and, and they'll be better. And I mean, even Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning made a bunch of guys' careers as he got on. But his first year, he threw a bunch of interceptions, you know. Like, and that's Peyton Manning. He was a, you know, a savant, basically, you know. So the Eagles went out. They got weapons. And they got Alshon Jeffrey, which, you know, didn't work out as great as they had hoped, but he definitely was an improvement on what they were doing, you know. Um, and they had gotten Torrey Smith, who, you know, had championship experience, was a good player and stuff like that. Like, they got guys who could make a play. And Wentz was awesome. He was just awesome, you know, like, and he would have been the MVP and all that stuff. And then after that, I don't know, he was just... Kind of, it was a little weird. You know, the following year he came back, um, he struggled. I think he was about 500 of the cases. Now, how healthy he was, I guess it's fair to wonder. You know, uh, he did suffer the injury in, in December of 2017, and he was back pretty early in the year. I don't think he started week one, but started to week two, week three. You know, he was battling a back problem in the cases. It's just kind of a topsy-turvy year. Okay. You say, all right, let's give him a watch to come back. Let's see how he is the following year. Listen, last year, I thought he was pretty good. You know, a lot of people um, kind of ragged on him. Uh, you know, he fumbles the ball probably more than you want. That's fair. But, you know, last year, they had suffered a lot of injuries on the offensive side. And I remember, you know, the biggest game of the year was, you know, um, Cowboys, Cowboys, Eagles. At the end, at the end, I think it was like week seventeen or sixteen or whatever it was. Basically, it came down to basically the NFC, you know, NFC East division championship game because the winner of that was gonna, you know, stay get ahead. And the next week, they both the Cowboys and the and the Eagles were playing the Giants and the Redskins were both terrible teams, so they were both gonna get a win. So you basically this was this was your your chance to win win the division, you know, like so. All right, the Eagles were home and stuff, but you know they didn't put up a ton of points. It was uh, I'm looking at right now it was seventeen. 17 to 9 game. So obviously the Eagles defense showed up too. But, you know, Carson Wentz, 31 to 40, 
319, one touchdown. Uh, main receivers that game were Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, uh, Greg Ward, who I'm pretty sure they just signed off the scrap heap or practice squad. Look, I mean, he went out and won a game for you that, you know, wasn't wasn't going to be easy for you to win. You know, um, pretty sure they were the underdogs in that game. I'd have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure they were underdogs in that game, and they were home, so that tells you something. And, you know, they they went out and they won a game they needed to win. You know, and then whatever the playoffs started, and he suffers an unfortunate head injury, he gets hit by J. Davian Clowney. So you, you kind of feel cheated at that point because the guy's barely played in the playoffs, literally. He's, he's essentially taken two teams to the playoffs and wasn't able to play in the games, which sucks for everybody. Everybody who argues that he's overrated, everybody who argues that he's underrated because the one problem is with injuries is that you can't actually prove it. I could tell you a million things about guys who got hurt and could say, oh, you know, if he didn't get hurt, he would have done this. And you could say if he didn't hurt, he would have done that. But the reality is neither of us know because he got hurt. So... You know, we kind of been sapped of actually getting to see Carson Wentz in the playoffs and performing in the playoffs, whether that's good or bad. You know, so you see, you see Eagles this year, and you say to yourself, like, well, all right, what's going on with them again? You know, and they, again, you know, they have an opportunity here to win a really, really bad division. You know, the Giants aren't good. The Redskins aren't good. The Cowboys are, they weren't good when they had Dak Prescott. You know, I mean, they, they were literally a stupid onside kick away from you know, being 0-4. You know, and they, they beat a, a Giants team. Barely. Granted, all right, Prescott broke his ankle, but they were already down in the game. Right. They probably won the game, honestly. With, with Prescott, they won it with Dalton, so I think so. And they come out on Monday night and get the doors blown off. Philadelphia has a huge advantage in the division this year moving forward, as long as Carson Wentz is standing. Carson Wentz is by far the best quarterback in the division right now. This is not even a question. No. And... While having a better quarterback is not the end-all, be-all, we've seen you know teams lose a division with better quarterbacks. It happens. It's a huge leg up, especially in a division that's as poor as it is in the NFC East, which is just a disaster right now. What to make of him? I mean, look, he's tough. I take you know, can make a lot of arguments about other stuff, but he's he's a tough dude. You know he. I mean, even this weekend, they were they were down they were down to Baltimore, and they were pretty get, much getting manhandled for most of the game. And he was a you know a missed two point conversion away from you know tying the game. And Baltimore is is clearly a better team than than, than Philly. So you know he's basically playing with them above their means. You know, he, there's things he needs to fix too. He hasn't been perfect. You know, uh, turn the ball over too much. Last year, Daniel Jones got a lot of heat for fumbling the ball. Carson Wentz only had a couple less fumbles. And Carson Wentz played the whole year last year. Daniel Jones didn't, you know. So, there's definitely things he needs to clean up. But I know that there was a lot of stuff. Uh, I remember, um, I think it was Dan Austin who said it. I uh, was speaking about a lot of Eagles fans talking about wanting Nick Foles to stay on. And the reality is that Nick Foles is like, Okay, he was, you know, he was fine his first go-around with the Eagles, but they clearly didn't believe him enough to keep him on. After that, he bounced around. He went to the Rams. He wasn't good. He went to the Chiefs. He was basically a backup. I think he started one game and won it, but whatever. He wasn't inspiring. He went back to the Eagles. 
he found more success with the Eagles. You know, the second time they had the playoff game, whatever the case is, where, I, you know, he played okay. Like, a lot of people made it seem like, all right, Jeffrey dropped the ball. Alshon Jeffrey dropped the, you know, fumbled the ball, whatever. Uh, turned into an interception that he probably shouldn't have been. But, you know, Foles is nothing special. You know, like, but there was Eagles fans who wanted Foles. And then they went out and drafted uh, Jalen Hurts. And I just, like, I mean, I, I guess I, I get it from the injury standpoint. You know, that, you know, he gets hurt a lot and whatever the case is. So, okay, I, I get that, I guess. But, you know, finding quarterbacks is hard, you know. And finding, you know, legitimately elite quarterbacks is, is harder. You know, how, how many of them? You probably count them on one hand that you of guys that you think are legitimately elite quarterbacks right now. You know, um, so Carson Wentz talent-wise is, is probably somewhere in that if you don't want to put him in the second tier, he's definitely in the third tier, you know, uh, depending on where you put him and stuff like that. You know, I guess that's an argument for another day. But the guy has a clear ability to be able to, to elevate his team as well. You know, you can obviously win football games with him. And, look, you know, he's, he's tough. Uh, that much I'll give him. You know, he don't, he don't give up on plays. Uh, even against Cincinnati, where, you know, you ran it in and stuff like that. He's, he's more athletic than, than he seems, you know. I generally, as a, as a guy, I, I think Carson Wentz is pretty good. You know, he's not perfect. He's the things he needs to fix, obviously. But, you know, overall, I think you're, you're looking at, at a good player that you can have a lot of success with as long as he's on the field. Now, the injury thing is, is a legitimate thing. But, I mean, some of them have been weird, too. Okay, towards ACL, all right, fine. And the following year, he had a back injury. You know, last year, I'm pretty sure he started all 16 games. And, you know, he, he got hit by Clowney and got a concussion and he was out of the game. You know, I mean, it's not a recurring thing with his concussion. So, I mean, calling him super injury prone may be probably a bit of a stretch. You know, so what to make a Carson once? I think, you know, he's a good to very good quarterback capable of, you know, high spikes in performance. And listen... Carson Wentz probably wins the Super Bowl in 2017 if the Eagles stay healthy. If, if he stays healthy, sorry. Because, I mean, the rest of the team was clearly prepared to win a Super Bowl. And, I mean, I have a hard time thinking that, you know, Wentz wouldn't have been able to perform at the level of Nick Foles. Listen, Foles is great in the Super Bowl, but, you know, Wentz was great that whole year. So, if you were if you were rolling the dice on who, who's got a better chance to perform as well as they are their gun, as going to be the guy who performed well all year who's probably the leading MVP candidate, or Foles, who seemed to just pull two games out of our... Uh, the best two games of his career he ever played were the two most important games of the season. You know, so... What to make of Carson Wentz? I, I like Carson Wentz. Uh, you know, I think there's things to fix in whatever cases, but... I think Carson Wentz is a good player. You know, uh, I'm not sure how popular that is, but... And he's a good player who, you know... Doesn't always play good at times, but you know who else would like that too? Eli Manning, and I was a pretty big fan of that guy. So, um, moving on, the next topic, the beatdown of Green Bay at the hands of Tampa Bay. That was a weird game. <laughs> that was a really weird game. Um, the weirdest part to me, I think, was just 
how much that game really, really flipped from Green Bay up 10 nothing to being down 38-10. And it wasn't just the score that flipped. The whole game just... It was. It looked. It it looked like two totally different games. Packers were up ten nothing. Probably should have been up more, but we're up ten nothing. Uh, the you know, they had the ball, and then Aaron Rodgers throws a pick six, and it's ten seven, and they just never recovered from it. And you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Rodgers fan. I you know I've defended him for for a long time and stuff like that and. I think he's an incredibly talented quarterback uh, in terms of arm, you know, arm strength, ability, accuracy, throwing on the run. He, he's he might be the, you know, he's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen throwing on the run. He throws more accurate on the run than most quarterbacks do from a clean pocket. It's incredible. Um, so that's why when I say this, I'm not sure who the blame is, but I think it's fair to argue that the blame is on both of them. So since Matt Lafleur took over. Last year and this year, to me, they have had three uh, statement games or or big games. This is what I would say. Now, uh, they played on Sunday Night Football in San Francisco in the middle of the year last year. They played for a rematch. They played San Francisco in the NFC in the NFC Championship game last year. And then this game this this week, they were undefeated. They were playing a Tampa team that was coming off a loss where Tom Brady forgot the time, uh, the down, excuse me. And, you know, the other game that they had a chance to, to, to be that but wasn't quite that was uh, I think they were like 5-1 and one or 6-1, and one, something last year, and they were going to play uh, Kansas City last year. And you put that in your schedule like a month before, and you're like, okay, that's going to be a big game. That's going to be a... A good litmus test for them because up until that point they hadn't really played anybody who was, you know, a kind of wow you team. But Patrick Mahomes went down, and Matt Moore started the game, and uh, you know they they pulled out the win. It was a tough win, whatever the case is. Whatever. Um, okay, so I'm looking it up. They were six and one heading to Kansas City. That's the one they went up. But at eight and two, they had a bye week, and coming out of the bye, which made it look even worse. They went to San Francisco for Sunday Night Football, and they got their doors blown off. Just, they just got rocked. I remember watching the game thinking, like, I know um, a lot of betters liked Green Bay um, that week. One of those, you know, um, oh, you know, it's a value bet kind of stuff. Uh, if you gamble, you know, you've heard what a value bet is. Basically, it's a, it's a you know, quicker way for you to lose your money. Um, they weren't competitive at all, at all. And it looked worse because, all right, you're coming out of your bye. You know, you're trying to make a point. You know, you want to be considered a top team. You're also competing at that point for, uh, you know, home home field advantage. And they looked like they didn't even belong in the same field with them. The offense just everything, everything. They lost thirty-seven to eight. It wasn't a close game. It wasn't a close game basically from start to finish. And Okay, the rest of the year they played, uh, they beat the Giants, they beat Washington, they beat the Bears, they beat the Vikings, they beat the Lions. You know, Minnesota was a pretty good team, so I'll give them that one. But other than that, the rest of the teams really weren't very good. And then they hosted the Seattle team, you know, that was, you know, whatever, a good team at home. Okay, that's fine. They beat a good team. Seattle, Seattle was pretty good last year. I mean, mainly, you know, they're going to go as far as Russell Wilson takes them anyway. But 
you know, after they beat Seattle, they had to go back out on the road and, and play the same San Francisco team that beat them the first time. And, you know, from there, I'm trying to look it up right now. Okay. With 50, by halftime, they were down 27 nothing in that game. That's it. And that was the game. They lost, obviously, and then San Francisco won the Super Bowl. And, right. There was two games last year that they could have made statements, and they both lost. And it wasn't just that they lost, because I understand the NFL is not a place for moral victories, but, you know, there are some losses that you take more out of than other losses. You know, you go out somewhere and you get your doors blown off. Yeah, you just say, all right, you know, whatever. Burn the tape, bury the tape, and that's it. You move on. You know, you go out somewhere and, and you, you compete and you really, really compete with somebody and you lose a game on a, you know, a one play or a close call or the case is. You know, one example that I, I always always like to use is in both seasons the Giants won the Super Bowl. I'm going to give you guys a lot of Giants examples here and there because obviously I don't know more than anything. But 2007, Week 17, the Giants played uh, New England, who was 15-0 at the time. Um... And they were up 28-16, I believe, on the undefeated New England Patriots. And the Giants were missing a couple of guys, too, because a couple of guys were injured. But they came out. The Giants had no reason to play. They were stuck in the number five seed. They couldn't win the division. They couldn't move down to six. It didn't matter. But the Giants came out, played their hearts out. And you know what? I, I feel like that game vaulted them because they looked at themselves and they said, we stood toe-to-toe with this team for 60 minutes. You know, and as luck would have it, they played the same team, you know, six weeks later in the Super Bowl. Uh, one of the, my favorite stats about that year is, you know, New England was eight, it was eight, it went 18 and all in the first 18 games. New England played the New York Giants in 2007. They played it for 120 minutes. After 120 minutes, the final score of that game, of those two, those two games was tied. 52 to 52. So, you know, when you, when, you, when you hear that, you say to yourself, you know what? They compete with them. That's, that's what they are. You don't play two full games against a team and basically finish with a tie score and the both games are field goal games, close games, and not be able to hang with basically them or that kind of caliber team. And then in 2011, it was kind of a similar thing where they played, well, they beat New England in New England late. And then they played Green Bay, but the, the, the New England one was a New England one. But they played Green Bay. Green Bay was undefeated at the time. They played them. They, they were leading them a little bit, and they were down or whatever. They came back and they lost the game. But again, same thing. Green Bay looked unbeatable that year. Looked like a juggernaut. You came out. You played your hearts out. You competed with them. You belonged in the same field with them. That proved it to yourself, and you proved it to everybody else. That kind of, those kind of games give people uh, momentum. So that's why I even say Green Bay not winning the games wasn't the worst thing that could happen, but Green Bay straight up looked like they didn't belong in the same field with San Francisco last year, both times. They just didn't belong. And that's kind of what Sunday turned into, bizarrely, because they were up too. After that 10-0 lead, Tampa Bay just dominated them on both sides of the ball. They couldn't stop them. They couldn't move the ball on them. You know, Aaron Rodgers basically got pulled halfway through the fourth. I would have pulled him too because, I mean, we're not doing anything here. What's the point in risking anybody, you know? But 
it's just it's 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 a question because now the another question becomes basically like well why what, what, what do those teams have that stand out i mean like the one thing that i would i would argue about those teams is that they're both um very physical teams uh Tampa Bay actually you know everybody thinks of Tampa Bay and they think of Tom Brady but Tampa Bay ran the ball great on Sunday you ran it all over Green Bay you know Ronald Jones was having a really really nice season you know you ran it all over them they couldn't do anything now all right granted some of it was they were heading to a play with the lead but they couldn't do anything to stop you know and you know defensively Tampa's D-line was really, really solid. You know, they have they have a lot of talent on the D-line. Jason Pierre-Paul, who's still good, if anybody uh, hadn't noticed. He's still a good player. Shaq Barrett's still there. Uh, and Dominic Sue, I don't know if anybody who watched the game, but if you saw him, Dominic Sue and Rodgers got into it a couple times. And, you know, they knew each other from Sue's Lions days. We used to play against each other twice a year. And, you know, they have a history. But, you know, Tampa was able to put a lot of pressure on Green Bay. And Green Bay just looks like the type of team right now that if they're gonna come, if you're gonna come there and push them around, they don't like it. They get uncomfortable. It's not their, it's not the game they want to play. They don't want to play from behind. Uh, most teams don't, obviously, but them in particular don't want to play from behind because you play behind, games get more physical. Teams run the ball more. They come after your quarterback more because you're you're in positions where, you know. You probably can't run the ball at, at the same pace that you want to if you're, if you're trailing. If you're down 10, you know, you got to throw the ball a little more. You take a little element of surprise. You know, Green Bay's got a really, really good running back. But, you know, it takes you out of your element. And the thing is, is that they're, it seems like they're not really able to adjust from there. You know, they kind of get into that spot where they're not really, really comfortable playing that kind of game. It's not the kind of game they want to play. So if they if you come out and you get an early lead on them, you lean on them, and they kind of collapse, you know. So uh, it's only I don't know, 20, 25, 25 games, not even 25 games, into LaFleur's coaching career, you know. But it's definitely something that, that's kind of stuck out to me, you know. So it's got to have to be something that they figure out, you know, because you can't just always roll over when, when a team's being physical with you and just kind of get pushed around. You know, you got, you got to stand up to the bully at some point. And so far, you know, they've had really three opportunities to, you know, stand up to the bully, and, and they just got crushed. Excuse me. So, you know, it's... And, I mean, they'll be okay. You know, they're, they're still a good team, obviously. You know, they have a lot of talent. On the defensive side, they actually did, you know, did a lot to fix the defensive side and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I mean, the, the schedule isn't... It's not prohibitive this year, you know. Uh, the next four or five games they got, they're at Houston, who can't get out of their own way. They're hosting Minnesota, who struggled. They're at San Francisco, who's, you know, has not looked like the team that they were last year, obviously, you know, so it's a difference. They got Jacksonville, they got the Colts, who's a solid team, you know, Bears, Eagles, Lions, Panthers. Titans is probably the, the best The best team they're going to face the rest of the year is the Titans. That's in Week 16. But... That's a team that, if they get ahead of them, they're not going to be comfortable playing them because nobody wants to tackle Derrick Henry. So, you know, you kind of want to see uh, Green Bay step up a little bit, be a little tougher, if they can figure it out, or figure out a way to get ahead and stay ahead. I mean, that's those are their options at this point. But uh, Derrick Henry 
is our segue into the last one and the part that I was looking forward to the most. Um, the Titans-Texans game. Good football, man. Uh, just fun game to watch at the end. Um, there was a, a couple of things that happened that I really, really enjoyed that are, you know, not quite what would be written in the book of football, so to speak. But I, personally, I, I love coaches. I don't love coaches going against the grain just to do it. I love coaches going against the grain because they generally think that it gives them uh, an advantage, you know, a break, something that they could figure out to, you know, change their fortunes of the team, you know. So uh, the two things that happened that I loved, um, and I'll go in the order of them that happened, uh, the first thing was something that Mike Vrabel has done in the past. So uh, just a little bit on Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel is awesome. He's an awesome coach. Uh, you know, not, not a lot separates, you know, separates uh, coaches. It's, it's not so much like, all right, if you, if you can't coach, you just can't coach. If you can't coach, you can't coach. But it's the little, the attention to the detail things or the thinking outside the box things or the things that, that nobody would really consider it to use or look at or whatever the case is, that makes all the difference, you know. So what Vrabel did on Sunday, for those of you who either don't know or didn't notice what had happened, but what Vrabel did um, was took a penalty on, I'm trying to remember if it was third down or second down. It was second down. Okay, so it was second and one. Rabel rushes a player on the field. They get a penalty. The penalty gives gives them an automatic first down. And, you know, it's a new set of downs. You're giving up the first down. So the announcers are like, oh, you know, mental mistakes, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, okay, that's what happened. I love that. I love that Rabel even tried to sell it like he was frustrated about what happened. Because you know that he's, he wasn't. And, you know... But it's 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 great and it's brilliant. And you know what? If he's if he sold it and and they didn't really pick up on it, even better, you know, because it show it shows you how little outside the box some of these announcers can actually think. So basically, what he did was he rushed the twelfth man on the field. They took the five yard penalty, gave him the first down. The reason he did this was because the penalty stopped the clock. He knows Houston basically was going to score anyway. You know, they, 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 all right, fine. There's a chance that they don't, but the reality is, is that it's probably not going to happen. Okay, at this point, you kind of, you know, and that's the other thing about coaches in general that, that I I love to see is coaches acknowledging what their team strengths and weaknesses are. You know, uh, if you have a defensive powerhouse, okay, you can rely on your defense more. If you have a, a team that's more, you know, offensive centric, offensive reliant, you need to find ways to rely on your offense more. You know, there's 60 minutes in the game. Unless you're going to overtime, obviously, the 60 minutes in the game, you need to find a way to maximize those 60 minutes with the best your team has to offer. You know, there's only so much you can control with who plays on your team, but you can control what works. So he basically took the penalty, uh, gave him the first down, stopped the clock, saved 40 seconds, and Houston scored a touchdown. Now, from there, basically what happened was Tennessee had an extra 40 seconds, basically, to go that back down the field. However, the other move that happened in this game that I loved, and I completely understood it, I completely respected it, it didn't work, but th- the other thing is you got to understand is that just because something didn't work out the way you had hoped doesn't necessarily mean that it was a bad decision, okay? It just doesn't. 
Um, I'll give you an example of an old one, and it goes back to uh, one of Michael Vrabel's old coaches, the legend himself, Bill Belichick. I'm sure a lot of you remember the, the call when Bill Belichick in his own zone went for it on fourth and two. Threw the ball. He got he got caught at the he literally needed two yards. He got one yard and basically just just one and a half yards, not even more than that. He just short of it. He didn't get it. And his logic at that point was whether we punt it or whether we go for it here, we're gonna have to stop Peyton Manning. And the reality is the Patriots just did not have the dogs to stop Peyton Manning. They didn't have him. And he knew it. Because nobody knows his personnel better than him. So what does he do? Seeing a chance to bleed the clock completely. Thinking, my best player is Tom Brady. The best chance I have to win this game is for Tom Brady to pick up two and a half yards. That is the best chance for me to have this game. It is not to put it in the hands of Peyton Manning. I'd rather have the game in the hands of Peyton Manning that I w- of Tom Brady than I wouldn't have it in the hands of Peyton Manning against my defense. That's what he decided. They went for it. They didn't get it. Peyton Manning went, went the short field like a hot knife through butter, threw a touchdown to Reggie Wayne, I believe, and they won the game. People kind of ragged on Belichick for the call. I, I didn't see why. It was a right call, which was funny because in this game, what happened was <clears throat> the Texans were up one. And being up one, they scored a touchdown. Touchdown put him up seven. Now, most of the time you score a touchdown, you bring the extra point team on the field, and you kick your extra points. And now Tennessee has, I don't know, a minute and a half, basically, to score a touchdown and get a two-point conversion. But the thing is, is that if you watched that game, I'm sure a lot of you did, Houston wasn't really stopping Tennessee. Derrick Henry was running wild on them. They were throwing the ball fine. They were moving the ball. The only stops, I think, I'm, I could be wrong, but the only stops uh, Tennessee, ha- uh, Houston had in the second half were turnovers, which, all right, great, yeah, you can get another turnover, but not, that's not how you can rely on, on winning a game just by forcing turnovers when you need a stop. Sometimes you just need to make a stop on defense. You know, you need a guy to cover a guy. You need a, a guy to get to the quarterback. You know, a guy to get in his face, force the completion, whatever the case is. You know, you need a bunch of guys to make plays. And... The Texans weren't doing that all afternoon. So, what did Romeo Cornell, you know, the interim coach, who also worked under Belichick, obviously, what did he do? They went up seven, and he said, let's go for two. And the reason he did that is because, much like when Belichick made his call with Brady, Romeo Cornell looks at his team and says, my best player is Deshaun Watson. I can put this game away if Deshaun Watson gets me two yards. That is the that is the, the, the dice roll I'm going to take. And the reality is, is that the downside of it is, I mean, the two things that I thought to myself was the downside is, all right, you got to stop him otherwise. You got to stop him anyway. You, you get them getting the end zone. The two-point conversion you're not even worried about because the reality is that you just need to keep him out of the end zone. And going 80 yards is, is in theory, supposed to be harder than going two yards. Once they get down the field, I mean, like, if they got all the way down the field on you, what are the, what are the hopes that you have that you're going to keep him out of the end zone for, for two yards? Are they higher or lower than keeping him out of the end zone from 80 yards? So from there... You say to yourself, all right, well, if Deshaun Watson gets, gets two yards here on the two-point conversion, I'm up nine. There's, what, 90 seconds left? Game's over. Worst-case scenario, all we got to do is recover an outside kick, which, unless you're the Illinois Falcons, is pretty doable. They go for it. They don't get it. They almost got it. Very, very close, but they don't get it. 
And from there, Tennessee starts to march on the field. The other thing that I did think about was um, Stephen Goskowski is the Titans kicker. And the thing about Goskowski was, I remember, I remembers, <clears throat> everybody remembers, Monday Night Football, week one, he had a really, really, really rough day kicking the ball. Now, granted, he kicked a game-winning field goal, so he deserves credit for that. However, there was probably a little, a little, a little thought in Cornell's head, and if it wasn't in his head, I definitely thought about it, that said to them, there might be a better chance of Goskowski, who had already missed two field goals that week, that, that, that game. He made all his extra points, but he had one field goal blocked, and he missed another field goal. There was a little thought where he said, you know what, I would rather put them in a position to kick the extra point and hope that he misses a, an extra point, which is not no longer a chip shot like it used to be, than to have him go for two where, I mean, Derrick Henry went wild that whole game. What were the chances they were going to hold him out for two? We saw him, we saw him get the two later on anyway. So, so even that could have been the downside of like, okay, well, if we get it, the game's over. If we don't, they're going to have to kick an extra point if they score a touchdown, which, you know, given Goskowski's shakiness lately, wasn't a guarantee. They didn't get it. As the rest of you guys know, they went down the field, they scored a touchdown, kicked the extra point. Gaskowski made it. Credit to him. They went into overtime. Tight, uh, Texans lost uh, lost the uh, lost the opening, the coin the coin flip, and you know Deshaun Watson let you know how he felt about it. He was mad about it. Um, I haven't really heard any criticism about him for it, and I'm glad that there hasn't been. I feel like. In years past, you probably would have heard something like, oh, he showed up his teammates, he doesn't trust his defense. Well, the reality is, you know, off the record, I'm sure he doesn't trust his defense to stop him anyway because they're going to stop him at the end of regulation. Why would they stop him in OT? However, the argument can simply be made that Sean Watson just wanted the ball. And he wanted to go down the field and win the game for his team. And that's all he was hoping for. Now, I'm not sure if that criticism was anywhere. I don't know if it was. If it wasn't, then great. But if it was, he just wanted the ball. He wanted the chance to win the game for his team. Another one with that. Um, but uh, it was um, that a lot of things in that game, coaching-wise, that I really, really enjoyed. It was a good football game. Uh, a lot of a lot of decisions that you know you don't normally think of, you don't normally see. It doesn't always work out. But that's the thing with, with choices that just because they're the right choices doesn't mean it's always gonna work out. Sometimes you got to take risks, you know, and I don't fault Romeo Cornell for basically putting the game in, in the hands of his best player. You know, he put the game in the hands of his best player, and they just missed it, just missed it. They were complete. They came on the field. They scored, as Cornell expected them to anyway, which I think, I think the ease that the Titans went down the field in the time that they did um, only made Cornell's move make more sense than less sense because the point was he was afraid of he, he was afraid of them not being able to stop him, which you know he kind of felt was going to be the case. And then you saw them basically not stop him. Went right down the field, they tied the game, went to OT, and they won the game. You know, technical scuffling. Uh, you know, we're just not a good football team right now. Finally got rid of Bill O'Brien, so that probably gets them on the right path. But you know. This is gonna be, you know, it's tough. They they have another tough game this week. We spoke before about the Packers. Maybe if they try to be a little more physical, maybe can they make the Packers uncomfortable. I don't know. I would kind of expect the Packers to win that game, but you know, who knows? Um, whenever you have a guy like Deshaun Watson, you know, you always have a chance. He's a really good player and stuff like that. He's another guy who can elevate his team. 
So, I thought it was good football, though. Um, Derrick Henry is special. Uh, he's, he's fun to watch. Um, like Des Bryant said, you know, he's, he's, uh, Derrick Henry's physical abilities aren't what impresses him. He's very, very passionate. And, um, you know, he's definitely very passionate about running over other men. Yeah, he's, uh, he really seems to enjoy that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's pretty much it. That's our show. Uh, I usually take about four topics. Uh, I guess we can call them the first, second, third, and fourth downs. I probably start incorporating that too. Um, not sure if I'll do another show this week, but uh, if I do, I'll probably just look at the other topics on it. And next week, I promise to be trying to try and be a little more organized. Uh, I'll try to set up times for you guys that times that work for you guys, whatever the case is. Uh, I can try to be as flexible as possible. You know, um, if there are topics that either I list or topics that anybody else lists. Uh, feel free to, you know, comment in there and say, hey, you know, I'd be happy to make myself available for topic X or topic Y, whatever the case is. And, I, you know, I'll figure it out. I'll try to message you guys. Um, for the record, I do use the Anchor app. I'm not sure what you guys, if you guys know what that is. If you don't, take a look at it. It's the easiest way for me to be able to get somebody else on the podcast. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know a ton of other ways. I'm open to suggestions, but this is what I've been using for now. So this is kind of what I plan on using moving forward. If we find something that's easier, it makes more sense for, you know, me and somebody else with the cases, I'm flexible with it. Um, but, yeah, so that's our show. Uh, if you guys made it all the way to the end, I really appreciate you listening. I know it's just a long hour of football, but I appreciate you guys sticking out with me. And, um, yeah, talk to you guys soon. Take care.